0: Mm-hmm. Hey, what is going on, people? Yes. Kwame a mentor, your host, back for another episode of I not Talk for Educators Live, and we're taking our show to the United Kingdom, <laughs> more specifically London. So yes. I have here a special guest. Uh, right. This is a brother who I recently started following on okay. Twitter, and he's doing some phenomenal work. In the education space in the UK, in the areas of classroom management, and just teaching and just teaching teachers how to build positive relations with children, something that we can all learn regardless of where we are in the world. So I want to welcome the good brother, Mr. Carl Poupe That's the one.
1: That's the one.
0: (laughs) To the show, and we're gonna be talking about everything from the work he's doing in the UK to his book which I just recently purchased, The Action, Action Hero Teacher, Classroom Management Made Simple. And I'm already two-thirds into the book, started reading it a couple of days ago. I'm about to be done with this. So it's a lot of great information. We're gonna really delve into some of the content that Carl shares in his book. So let's welcome Mr. Carl Poupe to the show.
1: Welcome, my brother. And I just want to add on um, again it's, the is the feeling's mutual, man. Um, you're doing fantastic work with what you do. I didn't even have the chance to say that to you. Um, obviously, I came across you, and you know how it is you just look at people's stuff, and I've followed you in Star and I've followed you everywhere, really. And what you're doing is fantastic. And especially in the space of black educators, we need more of those role models. Um, we need more of those people to speak up. And, and it, your interviews have been so insightful. You ask fantastic questions, and I'm glad you put a spotlight on all the fantastic educators around the world, man. So kudos to you, man. I'll tip my hat to you, sir.
0: Well, well, thank you, thank you. When I first started this show, I told myself I wanted to have an international focus because Mm. I could talk about what's going on in North America, specifically Mm. the US and Canada, which I'm familiar with, but Mm. let's talk about the other continents. Let's talk about Europe,
2: more specifically Mm. the UK. You know, yeah. I have
0: family in the UK, I have family in in Liverpool, I have family in London. Wow. So I have wow. some context around yeah. the conditions out there. And of yeah. course, I have family in the continent. So I wanted to make sure that we illuminate those educators in other parts of the world. But
1: it's Definitely. definitely, yeah. And so, I think the issues with the diaspora, because, you know, it's surprising. I've spoken to educators from Canada, from America, even like the likes of Australia. and. I don't know it saddens me sometimes but the issues are similar um you you would think you know again I've never taught in these countries but talking to other educators it's the same issues that come up so it's a universal experience and especially when we're relating to people that are not outside of Africa Mm -hmm. and how they feel and you know the the, the issues around diasporas and communities it's important that we highlight this you know I mean so thank you for the fantastic work you do man you're doing a fantastic job brother. man thank you i appreciate
0: it so let's get the focus back on you because that's why you're here we want to talk about you so my first question that i ask to every guest is Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself how did you get into the education
1: space sure so um i've been teaching now for about 10 years how i got in the education space is completely by accident um I did it in a weird way. So I didn't do it the conventional way. So let me just quickly give some um, context to that. Okay. In the UK, the way that most pe- uh, teachers become teachers, they say they take something called the PGCE. And it's kind of like a master's degree. So you do your normal college degree or university degree in, I don't know, maths or geography. Then you take something called the PGCE. Um, and that's very academic. You go to uni again. So it's like a master's. You go to uni. Then you go in the classroom. Then you've got to complete a year of your pgc year and then you do something called nqt so basically it's like you're a trainee teacher once you do those two years you're a fully fledged teacher that is the main way most teachers do it i did it do it that way i started off as a youth worker to be honest um okay. so in the uk i won't bore you with all the terminologies but basically there's something called alternative provision which is further education teaching adults like literacy classes for adults and kids that get kicked out of school and that's where I came from oh, okay so, so I went round the other so how I got into it was like most people I went into to do a degree I went into the private sector but I wasn't really happy with it I was thinking I'm not really making a difference so I, I did a, a youth working gig so I worked at a music studio um, for a while and then what ended up happening was somebody was like, you know, you're really good at this stuff because I led small groups and I was teaching them how to MC and rap and stuff. And I gained my qualifications through there. What ended up happening over those years is I became something called a NEETs coordinator. I don't know what it's like in America, but I'll try and explain it. In the UK, a NEET is somebody who's not in employment, education or training. So these guys do their GCSEs, which for you would be the G, what's it called? The GED? Oh, GED, Yeah. Yeah, that's so. Our, our equivalent is called GCSEs. Now, these guys—I don't know what it's like in the states—but if if you fail your GCSEs, life's not going to be very easy for you. You're not going to get a job. You're not going to do anything. And yeah. what we found was that those people that failed their GCSEs often were more likely to become, you know, victims of crime, criminals, low life expectations. So the government started a program about ten years ago um, where they put money behind it, um, people like myself who would basically go and say, look, you failed your GCSEs, but we're either going to get you into higher education, which is college, um, or university, or we're going to get you a job. Because if you, we can get you into those things, you're not going to become a victim of crime. Now, I don't know if you've been watching the news in the UK and you've seen the stabbings. I don't know if in America they show, like, we've had a, a crime wave in London, stabbings and killings and stuff like that. Mm. Have you seen much of that on the news? Have they uh, spoke about it? Maybe... BBC News and other international news outlets, they touch on that. So They touch on it, but it's really bad. And one of the things that happened was basically about five years ago, my project got shut down um, because the government in this country had something called austerity, which basically meant the government said, we have no money, we have to cut a lot of the projects out. So projects like mine uh, got cut completely. And I remember saying to my colleague when we left, they said, you know, I said to him, I said, there's going to be blood on the streets because there's not, so like the youth centres, all those other places were all cut, uh, all the provisions for young people. So those guys that were, that slipped through the net ended up becoming, you know, in gangs, taking drugs, and that's why we're seeing a lot of problems in London today. But luckily for me, I got a lot of my teaching qualification through that, and then I went into mainstream schooling. Um, But what I realised was that because of the people that I was dealing with, these guys were, were vulnerable learners, they had, um, you know, a lot of mental health issues, drug issues, uh, antisocial uh, personality disorders. I got specialist training um, and that really helped um, me. But I realised my colleagues that went through the PGCE route didn't get all that training. So after years of watching my colleagues struggle, I thought to myself, you know, what? I want to I put the book together and that's what you're holding in your hands. That's the long and short, but there's other little macro steps. But that's the long and short of my journey so far.
0: All right, man, that's awesome. And as I was reading your book, you did touch yeah. on the fact that your mm. starting teaching was in mm. an alternative setting where you had yeah. a lot of students who were mm. e t students, yeah. Uh, yeah. NET students, and they were getting into trouble in their previous yeah. schools. So yeah. very similar setting to the U.S. where you have a lot of alternative schools or settings where yeah. kids who are considered... Ah, uh, quote unquote misfits or mm. mm-hmm. just troublemakers, they just get sent to this uh, vicinity, this facility yeah. where they get more training, but it's more aggressive because of the cool, yeah. of the of the kids. Cool. Yeah. Which yeah. can be counterproductive. It so, can
2: yeah. Mm. So it can. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm thinking to myself in the beginning I was the teacher that was, like, cool, Yeah, be buddy, buddy with the kids, be friends with them. And this yeah. is when I was working at an after-school program. Sure. It was a work-study job while yeah. I was in college, you know, university. University. And, and I really loved it. And I mm. thought to myself, you know, I'm going to change some kid's life just by being there every day. I had this romanticized vision of mm-hmm. what it meant to be an educator, what it meant to be a mentor. And I took sure. that with me into that space. Sure. And I thought, okay, if I could just kind of mm. dap it up, be buddy-buddy with these kids, they're going to respect me because I'm being nice to them. And what mm-hmm. I realized very quickly was that <laughs> man, it doesn't quite work out that way. Sure. So yeah. in your book, you had an example about uh, Toby. I was Toby. Right, (laughs) Right. I was was Toby. You know, I was a nice guy. (laughs) I cut the kids slack when they were, you know, doing things they weren't supposed to do, and man, it totally backfired on me. And it took me a while to understand why that was the case. How is it that I could be so nice to them, and then in return I get all this cruelty? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until a coworker of mine. Spit some wisdom to me and said, "Hey, you gotta be firm with them. Yeah. You know, you can be respectful and yeah. friend lead to them, but you can't be friends
1: with the. I'm licking that from you, Kwame. Yeah. I'm licking that from you. You can be friendly, but you can't be friends. I'm yeah, you. You be friendly, be friends. I'm yeah. stolen, stolen. Yeah. I'm just yeah. 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 slow, <laughs> man. And yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're yeah. spot on." Huh? You're spot on i mean all of us start in that way and again it's difficult because um in london where, where i'm based it's very multicultural so obviously um, but, but let me let me ask you a question i want you to guess something okay so there's half a million teachers in the uk okay as it stands out at the moment half a million teachers how many of them do you reckon are from either black or asian or minority ethnic backgrounds in a percent what would you say how many of them well um, given what I know about mm-hmm. the UK education
0: system, I would say it's a very small percentage.
2: Sure.
1: Any numbers? I'm pushing. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with 10%. 10%. All right. I'm, I'm smaller than that. And I was shocked because I found this out last year, the end of last year, of all the half a million teachers that we've got in the UK, it's only 2%, which classify themselves as ethnic minorities which is absolutely shocking. We wow. 2% of all the teachers in the UK. I'm not a mathematician by trade. You probably could work that out. But I don't know how many in terms of a number that is, but only 2%. So we are a minority of a minority. Now, wow. if you look in places like London, London is, it, 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 where in, in the UK, most of the major big cities will house most of the ethnic minorities. I think 70% of all ethnic minorities live in the big cities in the UK, whether it's London, Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, Um, Oxford so what you've got is you've got a a big disparity so going on to leading on to what you were saying about Toby what what I feel I started off as a Toby as well Mm -hmm. very in my teaching career because obviously what what what, not obviously you've got in London a lot of children that look to you and say wow you're a teacher you're black like me so we can relate so you think I'm going to chop it up with them and talk to them but Mm -hmm. as you rightly said if you don't have the other frameworks in place what ends up happening is that you end up taking on a lot of issues and it becomes a boundary issue. And what you're doing is you're, you're, you're causing a conflict for yourself later down the line, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. What ends up happening is, as I explained in the book, when you don't set those clear boundaries, what ends up happening is basically the child thinks, oh, you're cool, and you're tight. And when you have to put that boundary down, they're doubly hurt because they're thinking, rah, you're cool. I thought you were a cool guy. You're not cool. You're like everybody else. But they feel that you've broken their trust. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, oh yeah, it, so it becomes a, a, a serious issue, and I'm I'm glad you raised that because in the book I make it quite clear there's a kind of framework you have to work through, and you can have that relationship as you said you can be friendly with them, but you don't have to be friends with them. You know, it's almost kind of like a, being a, a good parent. You love your children, but you, there 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 has to be boundaries, there has yeah, to be I'm limitations. Saying. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you raised that. Yeah.
0: Um, and it's funny because as you were talking about that. Yeah. You want to definitely be firm with students, but at the same time, you want to be consistent, too.
1: Sure, yes. So something that
0: happens very, you know, something that's very common Mm. with younger teachers or early career teachers, Mm. the fact that they start off being Toby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then once they realize that being Toby doesn't work, then you mention a book, you have like this... Yo-yo effect, where it's like, (laughs) okay, you start off being, yeah, you know, the cool guy. Now you want to be the tough guy and be strict and firm with them. But the thing is, the kids can see through that because they know that's not who you truly are. So, part of being that teacher Mm. is finding your groove, and I think that was something I had to do. I definitely knew that I wasn't going to be the one that was going to be, you know not smile and be angry mm. all the time. That's just not my personality. Yeah. So I yeah. had to find a way to still be me, sure, but still be firm. And once you find that balance, that's when the magic happens.
1: Sure. That's so, put it yeah. spot on. so for your viewers, just so that they know, because um, what I outlined, there's a couple of frameworks, but I'm going to just put the main framework out there because I want them hopefully to take away something from this conversation. Yes. What I posit, and I'm very proud of this because I, I made this theory, um, is I call it Trust Mountain. And again, I mm-hmm. can't say that it was just me. I, I kind of took the idea from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So I'm sure most educators know what that is. Yep. And other bits and pieces I learned um, over the years. And basically, what I posit or what I propose is this you have a, almost like a triangle or a pyramid. Okay. And when you, so when most um, teachers go into a classroom, they just look at their class as some homogenous blob. They're just thirty kids, or how many are, that is in there. But when I walk into a classroom, I'm splitting it into four. All right. So what it basically means is, imagine you've got a triangle, and probably what I'll do afterwards, I can send you um, something, a link, so they can see this, and it probably make it easier to describe, so they can have a link. I'm sure we can do that, right, you Kwame? Know I mean? Oh yeah. If, can... you,
0: if you send a link, I'll try to, I'll try to attach it to Put the, the, the bottom. links. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So basically, what you've got is you've got each, each of your students is on a journey and, it, and their behavior, how they behave in class shows where they are at with you. So if you imagine this triangle and right at the bottom, you've got the worst of the worst kids, like they, 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 they won't listen to you. And then right at the top, at the peak of this mountain, you have the best kids. And what your job as a teacher is, is to figure out where your students are on this, on this pyramid and try and get them a level higher. And how you do that is using two levers, in the book which i describe as authority and the other level i describe as warmth right. but let's look at the pyramid for a second so right at the bottom level i described it as having what we call a disruptor a disruptor is a person who will come in your class and they won't listen to you they can be aggressive they can be rude and this is where we call what i call flashpoint situations happen this is where your you know So you tell John, I call it, I said, this is the realm where Johnny Table Flipper lives, right? This is the realm where you say something, no, I'm not doing Ah!" it. they're flipping tables, they're fighting, and that's the lowest level. That's the toughest level, right? The stage above that is what I call compliant. Now, a compliant is the level where I call the class clowns. These are the guys that crack jokes, you know, they're just annoying, right? They're irritating, they're fidgeting, they're elbowing people, you tell them to stop. Now, the difference between a compliant and a disruptor is how they respond to you. So now whereas a disruptor might act aggressive and the disruptor might you know, get up in your face, a compliant is more likely to say, okay, sir, but they're more like low level. So when you're not looking, they're throwing things and elbowing mm-hmm.
2: you.
1: just have to press on them. The next level above is what I call positive. That's the green zone. So I color coordinate as well in the book. So disruptor is red, compliant is yellow, like a traffic light. Then positive is what I call the green zone. Now, these are not perfect kids. But what a positive can do is something critical that the other two levels below can't. They can self-correct. So for example, going back to, uh, just say you've got somebody who's talking, you look at them and and they'll say something like, you know what, sir, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I was talking. I know I was messing around. That's positive because you didn't have to say anything to them. You literally looked at them and they're self-correcting. They're thinking about their behavior. And then the last level, which is the beautiful level, I wish everybody can get to is what I call engaged that's what you see in Harry Potter films you know what I mean where they're all sitting and yes sir I love it that is where they engage with you that you're vibing they want to learn they're enjoying the lessons behavior is not an issue because they're just so locked into the lessons now what I posit in the book is of course most people you know if it's anybody else, else they'll say, yeah I could get your class to be engaged it's no nah, it's not going to happen <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry don't buy the book if you think that's going to happen no the, the reason why people are disruptive or compliant is, is complex. And I put that in the book. If you've got a child, for example, who's being abused at home, being beaten up, being, you know, is not eating, you can't expect them to come to your class and behave themselves properly. And I've met kids like that. I've dealt with kids like that. So with that person who's disruptive, maybe I'll say the best I can get into is positive. Yeah. Or the best I can get into is at least compliant. Right. Each child is unique. But what I can promise is if you follow the tips in the book, we can take them up one level and if you took every single child one level in your class your classroom would be completely different club classroom right i've had kids who literally tear down like everybody else's class and the kids will come to me and say you know what sir you're the only person that i behave for you know and that it that shows the power of what you do and over time yes if you've got a disruptor and you've got enough time so in the uk system secondary school system we start from year seven to year eleven so that's grade six all the way to grade ten yeah. which is from about 10, 11, all the way to 16. Yes. If you've got somebody who's disruptive and they get extra help, like therapy and other things get put into place, maybe over time you can get that person to become engaged. It's not impossible. But what really annoys me is when these behavior management specialists come and say, you can change your student. How difficult it is for us to change as adults. You know, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things going on. And again, in the book, I talk about becoming a detective. You need to know who your students are. So hopefully that clarified it. So. When we're talking about what you were talking about, again, uh, really quickly, I'll speak about um, a behavior management style. So Toby is what I call the doormat. A doormat is a person who's very empathetic and warm and lovely. So remember the two levels, uh, levers we we're talking about, authority and warmth. Oh, wow. They are on the other end. They are very warm and empathetic, but they have no authority. Okay? None. So what that basically means is that they let the kids get away with everything as you were describing. That's not good for the child because you're enabling the child. You're not helping the child. All right. On the other side of it, the other lever, you've got somebody like a Mike who's all authority, no warmth, no empathy. So this guy is what I call a dictator, right? So he's like, sit down, be quiet. Why are you breathing? You breathing? That doesn't work either because you're just going to aggravate them. So in the middle, so you've got somebody who's really warm, but no authority. The other side, you've got somebody who's really authoritative and not warm. I say, The right teachers often have that balance. They can be very empathetic, but they can also have that authority. And authority is not, authority has become such a dirty word in our society. People don't like authority. But what I argue in the book is, authority is not only about, you know, telling people what to do. If you go to a doctor and you've got a lump on your leg, he is an authority. He will tell you what that thing is on your leg. You understand what I'm saying? Let me help you out with that. Let me help
0: you out with that because I actually read about that so in your book, you talk about authority in two different fashions. So there's what you call the positional authority in this case. Yes. Okay. I have authority because mm. I'm at a higher level in the hierarchy that you are. So let's say I'm a principal. I'm a superintendent because mm. of my position, I have authority. Mm. And then we talk about personal authority. That goes back sure. to what you said about this idea of empathy, this idea of warmth.
2: Mm, what mm. kind of
0: person are you?
2: Mm, Do you mm.
0: invest in building relationships with your children,
2: with your mm. staff
0: members. Mm-hmm. So based on how you build your relationships, yeah. that's how you gain respect. And consequently, that's how you gain authority. So you talk about authority in two different fashions.
1: I'm a movie buff. And I think one of the greatest examples in movies of somebody who has fantastic position authority is Captain America. Now I use this in training because I train a lot of teachers. Because they're like, "How does that look like?" I explain it like this: Captain America. He's not even a superpowered human being. Okay, yes, he's peak human physical power, but he's not as strong as the Hulk. You know, right. he hasn't got the technology of Iron Man. He's nowhere near fours level. You know, in fact, he's one of the weaker ones. He, you know, the only people weaker than him is probably uh, what's their face, Black Widow and Hawkeye. But sure. the Avengers follow this man. And what we see in the MCU is he earns every single one of their respect. He speaks to them on their level. He shows a lot of empathy and understanding, but also he shows that authority. If something needs to get done, he does, um, it gets done. And people trust him, you know, people trust what he has to say and what he has to do. So though, in terms of raw power, Captain America does not have that raw physical power the Hulk would just punch him once and he'll die yeah the fact that all of them listen to him show that there's something about him and it's because of his principles what he stands for and people just have that trust that you know if Captain America says something it's probably the right thing to do and that is where you want to be you want to be the Captain America of your class where you lead from the front and another thing that Captain America does is he's not scared to throw his life on the line he leads from the front he would not ask you to risk your life he would be more than willing to throw his life you know to save other people and that is why people have that trust and that's why people end up following you know so that is a for me from obviously there are other examples in movies but for for, for pop culture that is what a great leader looks like that mix of empathy and warmth but also that mix of i can kick your butt if i have to kick your butt you know what i'm saying oh, yeah could. There's, there's a line. And you see that in Civil War. It's like, boy, there's a line. You cross this line, then, boy, we have to go to war, bro. It's Yo. just different things, you know. So that's my way of explaining it.
0: So you've had a lot of experience working with teachers, but you've also gone through your own evolution as a teacher. Yeah. So at what point in your career did you feel mm-hmm. like you found your groove as an effective classroom manager of students? So I think for me, I would say that I found my groove probably in year two or three.
1: Ah, that's interesting. That is, you know, no one's ever, this is why I like you, Kwame. Uh, no one's ever asked me that question. That is a, a great question. Where did I find my groove? Again, because my journey's been a weird one, yeah. it's difficult to say for me, because I never envisioned myself as a teacher. In In a weird way, I still see myself as a youth worker in a weird way, and that's a different mindset. I think where I found my groove and I realised that, okay, I'm onto something, is when I become a supply teacher or substitute teacher um, in American vernacular. So after I left my job, uh, well, I had to leave because the funding got cut. I did substitute teaching for a while. And I don't know if you, well, you obviously know we've all had substitute teachers. It's like, boy, open season. That yeah. substitute teacher, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> that substitute teacher is going to get it you know what i mean you know the ones where you just like it's like a lamb before wolves or lions and i realized i was like boy this is like you know dangerous minds with M- M- michelle pfeiffer's like every day was dangerous oh, So
2: yes? yes. yeah.
1: like julio in the corner man i was like wow but <laughs> yeah. well, you know i managed i did that for two years and i thought okay these kids are not throwing things i don't know if you've in the uk i've been to i work in a school now um, and sometimes after substitute teachers are there it's like someone's thrown a grenade in the class man it's like you know the chairs are all over the place I'm seeing like balls like there's brick I was like where did they get brick from like I was like what, what happened in this classroom but I, <laughs> I'm like what happened to this poor person but I realized after a while I thought okay I'm doing something right here because teachers I mean I mean I went to schools and I'm like what you haven't been attacked I go attacked should they attack me because the last couple of guys have and I was like nah not me right? not me but I think I realized I was getting in my groove when I become a needs coordinator that's when I thought okay this is where I kind of want to be because that's what I wanted to do I wanted to make a difference when I was working in the private sector I was just making a rich man richer basically mm-hmm. I wasn't really there wasn't that satisfaction but looking at some of these young people who were you know gang members Criminals, and then they, you know they, they get jobs. They go into uni, and they're saying, you know, because of me and my team and the things that we've done. That's when I realized, you know, it's a beautiful thing, and that's when I realized what I'm doing makes a difference. Um, and then when I brought that into the mainstream education setting, that's when I thought. So I'd say for me, halfway through my career, so about three, four years in, and when I became a needs coordinator, that's when I thought, okay, okay, this is this is where it's at, basically.
0: Yeah, and I think that was my case too, because before I had my own classroom, I was substitute teaching, I was supply teaching. And man, that's your right to passage. I don't care what anybody (laughs) says. That's your right to passage as a teacher. Yeah. Every teacher should should go through supply teaching. And the reason why (laughs) is because that's when you find out what grade levels. You yeah. Prefer that's where uh-huh. you start to build your identity. Sure. Sure. And it's trial and error. You you're able to make mistakes because guess yeah. what? You're in a setting where you don't have all the tools available. You don't have in some cases, yeah. you don't have a lesson plan left by the teacher. In some yeah. cases, it's just you and twenty 22. plus students staring <laughs> at you for eight hours. You have to find a way to get to the bell.
1: Get the bell exactly. It's like, um, I like what you said there because sometimes you walk in that classroom and it honestly felt like you know, like Gladiator yeah. with uh, Russell Crowe, and you're walking in,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. you literally just have to put that <laughs> mark, down. you know. It's like it's weird because I think of things in songs, and the song was some, when I was supply teaching, you know, Victory with Puff Daddy and, and Biggie. Oh,
2: like, yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, sometimes. Yeah.
1: Into the classroom, <laughs> one, one, two. I was like, "Wow!"
2: Me <laughs> out right here,
1: <laughs> The sun don't shine forever. I was like, "Wow!" Because as you said, it's, it's but you know what the funny thing is, and I think I put this in the book as well. I used to be a battle rapper as well. This was another lifetime. I'm an old man now, but back yeah, in the day, I, same. I found this, it's weird because the skills I learned when I was battle rapping, good, you know, you know how it is. I'm sure in the States, obviously you guys started it. You step on a stage, it might not even be your crowd and you've got to win the crowd. You not only have to beat the MC, but you've got to win the crowd. Mm-hmm. So, and then I became a host of these kind of battle rap circuits. So it was, it was, it was, I still had that same thing and there was such psychological tricks that I could do to kind of win them over, and again, it's funny you said that, because a lot of the things that I put in the book came out of that period, because I, like, I had to learn, because you've got to build rapport quick, you've got literally, I said in my head, you've got five minutes, and if you've lost them in five minutes, the next 55 minutes are going to be hell, you're, yeah. you're, you're going to be, you're going to have balls of paper thrown at you, you're going to be swoon at, you've got to win them over, you've got to do something, mm-hmm. so... That is the, the skills that were kind of there. So now you're, you're spot on. You're spot on. So I was lucky in a weird way. I people like, when I say that to people, I did like supply teaching for two Like, how did you survive? Oh, poor dear. I'm like, that was some of the best times of my life because, again, you have to just win them over. And that's what gave me that advantage. So when I went into schools, I was like, this is a piece of cake because, you know, over my experiences. So yeah, that's what happened, man. So I've got a brother in supply teaching. It's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it,
0: I mean, and that's why I have so much empathy for supply teachers now when they relieve me for a day or two. Like I'm very, like I always make sure to have my lesson plan ready, seeing chart ready, the schedule ready, the agenda. I'll even update the board from so they don't have to worry about it because I've been there, I know how it is. So for me, now that I'm a classroom teacher, my job is to try to make the job of the supply teacher easy. as easy as it possibly can be for those eight hours. Now, as far as what happens from that point on, man, they're on their own. I've done it back then within my capacity as a classroom teacher, yeah. you As long know, as they don't
2: wreck your
1: class, you don't come back and your class is wrecked. As long as your class yeah. ain't wrecked, yeah? As long as, <laughs>
0: if it does, I'm not putting it on the teacher all the time. Sometimes I might have to, Cause, you know there's there are different types of supply of teachers you have some who are more proactive mm. and they'll, you know they might get their butt kicked but you know what the effort sure is them. there and <laughs> they'll make sure that they file through on the lesson plan the way you want them to Ooh, yeah, and then okay. there's some who sit behind the desk for eight hours and let make the kids better. run amok <laughs> And you know which ones I'm talking about too. Yeah, I know those ones do. Some of them just say blatantly, I don't really care. I it's like, money. I'm getting paid for the day, regardless of whether the class is in one piece or trash. <laughs> so they could care, they could Couldn't care, be you know, any less. But, uh, it, that, you know, that's always interesting. Um, but um, I did have a question. Go for it. And you kind of answered a lot of the questions that I had just sure. through the conversation.
2: Sure.
0: But I wanted to touch on. The social contract that you talk about in the book, because as I was reading it, it's very similar to what we talk about here in the U.S. called restorative practices.
2: Yes, yes.
0: I don't know if you're familiar with the term restorative practices, but a lot of those elements in the social contract are parallel to, to restorative practice, because when you're doing restorative practices, right, we have the teacher and the students co-create what we call agreements. Yes. So the agreements are the expectations that we want to have in the classroom. It's mm-hmm. a team approach. Yes. So, so you, I guess you could call them norms yeah. because these are what you want to have happen within your classroom. So it's not like rules where, you know, the teachers or, <laughs> or the figures they dictate yeah. what happens in the classroom and the, te- and the students have no input on that.
2: So 100, 100,
0: I want to talk about that because I just saw so many, um, a lot of intersectionality between restorative practice and what you talk about with the social contract.
1: When it came to being a NEETS coordinator, um, I went in, so a lot of these, so the way the UK system works is for you to be put in alternative provision, you've got to be kicked out of two mainstream schools. So Mm -hmm. Just say you went to, I don't know, Martin Luther King School, uh, high school, you got kicked out of that, and then you went into, I don't know, Barack Obama High School, and then you get kicked out of that. What the authorities would do is they'll put you in um, alternative provision. That's what we call it. Now, the problem with that, by the time they reach alt provision, where I am, they are completely jaded with the school. They hate school, right? they want to what my experience was is they want to break the rules they want to push against the boundaries because they a lot of them felt like they were prisoners, right Mm -hmm. so in the book i spoke about when i first did this i had to go to the center because there was a center where you go and pick them up because they have a reduced timetable they can't even do a full eight hour day yeah they can't even do a full eight hour day we we had to start with four hours because they would they were you know that difficult to deal with Mm -hmm. And I realised, dictating to them and saying to them, you're going to do this and that and that and that, that put put a lot of triggers. You understand? That put a lot of triggers. And what I found over time was that they felt that a lot of these guys, the reason why they manifested such behaviours is because they felt that they weren't being listened to. They felt they weren't respected. They'll say things like, the reason why I'm in here is because I'm a bad child. Or the reason why I'm in here is because I'm useless. So I had to come by accident. Um, I've learned about restorative practice later, but by accident I was like, okay, let's go with that team ethos. The thing with what I did with the social contract was because I involved them, they felt they had some ownership on it. They felt that they were a part of something. Somebody wasn't dictating to them, they were listening to them, okay? And when you give children that ownership, when you give them that ability to say, look, this is your classroom too, yeah? They respond differently. Right? And it comes down to society as well, because we, as a society um, we, we no longer trust authority figures in america it 's interesting because I read a report I think by the Pew Research or something like that, and it was yeah, really yeah. interesting they were, talking, they were talking about in America and i 'm sure it 's the same in the u k they were talking about in America looking at how much they do like surveys um, every couple of years, and they're looking at the trust they had in the government and What was interesting they, they started this in the 1920s. And just say the, you know, the trust in the government was about 60%. It actually peaked in World War II. So it went up to like 75 to 80% that the, the American people trusted the, uh, you know, the president.
2: Yeah.
1: As the years went on, it started to dwindle, but not that much. But what happened was in 1975 was Nixon Watergate. I think it uh, was Watergate. Yeah, was:. 70- yeah. And if you look at this research, they showed the graph: The trust in the government went off a cliff. People just lost all trust. And it's been hovering, just say it was 70% there. It went down to like 30%. And it's not ever really recovered. And it's dwindled over time to the point where I think with Donald Trump currently, it's like, I don't know, 30%. So three out of 10 people, only three out of 10 people trust the government, do good things. And what I think has happened is they've shown that in society. We live in a time where it's crazy. I can get on my phone and I can tweet Donald Trump or Boris Johnson and say, you know, you're an idiot obviously stronger words, you're a flipping idiot. I hate you, right? I can actually do that. A hundred years ago, if I did that, either I'm going to jail, I'm going to get beaten up or something bad's going to happen to me, right? You could literally, in our country, in the UK, if you insulted a monarch, and it's not that long ago, about a century ago, you could be put you know, in prison, you could be killed, you know? So what we've got is that the, 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 the barrier between people of authority and the, the normal populace has been eroded So now, if you've got kids that can do that to prime ministers and presidents, why are they going to respect you? Why are they going to respect you? So that's why I emphasize having personal authority. That is why we like influencers. We follow influencers rather than we follow like presidents and prime ministers. And that's why even our politicians are cozying up with these influencers because they want that to rub onto them. So with that approach, and it is funny because although I did that with the NEETS, the alternative provision law, it works the same in secondary schools as well. They want to feel that there's some buy-in and there's some trust and you've got to earn their trust. Before, our authority as a teacher was unquestioned, yeah? But now we have to earn it. And I think that's right as well. I think that's right. I don't believe in just, yes, we've got to have that respect level, but we can't... If somebody's talking to you like you're garbage, why should you listen to them? I'm just that way inclined. Some teachers are like, we are teachers and that's the bottom line. But I'm like, if you want them to truly engage you've got to earn their trust. You've got to do, put some of that work in as well. And that's just where I stand. And maybe it's coming from the youth work side, because I know that once I get their trust, I can get them to engage in lesson. Right? No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. That is like one of my life mottos as a teacher. Yeah? yeah. And that's where I come from. That's, that's, my, that's my thinking.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I feel like in mm. order for the kids to listen to you, you have to respect them first before they respect you. Now, there was a point in time, maybe Mm -hmm. many years ago, where you didn't Mm -hmm. have to go through this process. It was Mm -hmm. automatic. You come into the classroom, you are the authority figure, you are the teacher, automatically the respect comes. Mm -hmm. That's not the day and age we're in. No. You have to put in the work. And I think certain teachers interpret this process as is a, a relinquishing of power. Mm. If I spend all this time trying to gain the respect of my students,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that makes me less powerful as a teacher or less authoritative mm-hmm. as a teacher. They should already respect me because I'm an adult. I'm mm-hmm. grown.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, mm-hmm. like this is the mindset of certain teachers, and this is what they tell me. Mm-hmm when they try to rationalize their reasons for not going through the process that we're talking about, you know, as far mm-hmm. as gaining the, the students' respect, mm-hmm. they feel like they shouldn't have to go through that because of their age, because of their adult status. So mm-hmm. you have to change that mindset. But man, um, This is just awesome. And cool. we can <laughs> talk about this all day.
1: Of course. But,
0: but before you go, Sure. I want to give you a chance to share maybe any projects, any programs or initiatives that you're
1: currently working on in the UK. So at the moment, um, I launched the book in March 2019. Um, At the moment, there's lots of stuff. So I do a lot of workshops. I'm doing a lot of um, teaching. I've got a big announcement. I can't say it yet. I wish I could. But in uh, next week, I've got a big, big announcement, which is just watch this space. I'll give all my handles and that, but basically I do a lot of training. I do a lot of training. So if you're in the UK um, reach out to me, I do a lot of workshops. I do a lot of, I've been asked to do a lot of speaking as well. So I'm doing a lot of keynote speeches uh, about education and stuff like that. So um, I'm based in the UK at the moment, but Hey, if somebody from, you know, your viewers are all from around the world, you send me the ticket, I'll come. (laughs) So if, 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 if if there's anything, if you want any training or anything, we can arrange something. We can arrange something. But, yes, I am at the moment consulting um, teachers and um, I'm working with um, a college at the moment. And I'm, 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 I'm really excited about this project. I can talk a bit about this one where um, new teachers basically, using the the tenets of my book, we're, we're, we're trying to put that into their curriculum as well. So at least when they're going into the classroom oh – yeah, when they're going into the classroom, they're coming armed, they're coming equipped, and uh, and that's what we want to do is give them the, the reality. So there's lots of stuff, but if you want to get anything, just follow me on my socials. I put everything out there on the socials. So can I, I? I'll say my socials really quickly. Yeah, yeah, my quick. Instagram. Um, uh, the, my Instagram is Actionera Teacher. So grab me on the Actionera Teacher Instagram there, and also I've got a Twitter Actionera Teach, and then if you follow those all the projects basically will come out. It's all there. It's all there, man. And obviously I've got my website, which is Teacher.com. It's, it's all there for you. Bro. It's all there. Yes. And mm. people, please get mm. some copy of this book. Get Thank you.
2: Get
0: a copy of this book. I mean, <laughs> a lot of information here is crash management 101. <laughs> I will say that, but the mm. way that it's articulated in this book is entertaining. You're not mm. going to fall asleep. This is not your t- <laughs> Special development where you sit there and you have the facilitator just regurgitating facts that you already know and is done mm. it's done with just very mundane and just boring. Mm. And you look at your phones while they talking. Nah, this is not in this book. This book is very different. It's going to keep you engaged. And you know what? The best thing about it is? If you don't want to read through the whole book, you can just pinpoint sections of the book and get the information you need. This is a guide. It. It's
1: a guide. This is a uh, guide. As I said, I designed the book so that it's not, you don't have to read it from cover to cover. The first two sections you read, get those theories in you, the two theories, and then the rest you can jump around. I don't want it to be like a, something you just leave on the table. I wanted it to be literally almost like me being with you and walking you through. And I've got practical exercises in there um, for you to do. So I want you to engage with this book. And that's why I designed it, to, um, designed it to do. But any questions, just reach me out on the socials. You know what I mean? And I'll, I'll be happy to answer them.
0: Yes. And you can get your copy at... AmazonTeacher uh, Amazon. ...teacher.com. Or, no, mm-hmm. or you can just go on Amazon like I did and buy <laughs> yourself a copy of the book.
1: For real? For real.
0: It's that simple. And if you bought the book and you read it and you love the book, leave the brother review. Please. Okay. Please. Because as someone who's written books myself, we love reviews. We want to hear feedback. We want to hear how the book has transformed your practice.
1: Thank you. And if you didn't like it, we want to hear that as well because we want to be better. Reflective. Being a reflective practitioner. So that's important. That's really, really important.
0: Let's hear that feedback, people. Let's hear the feedback. But, Carl, uh, yeah. oh, man, thank you for
1: being on the show. This thank is you, a- brother. Man. Thank you. This is my first international interview, so thank you for wow. giving me the opportunity, you know what I mean, for giving me the opportunity to, to chop it up with you, to rap with you for a second. And hopefully, please stay in touch with me, brother, and hopefully we can, I don't know, we can make something happen. Let's make this truly international, brother. So, you know, yes, we sir. follow each other now. And as I say to my uh, anybody that's watching it from my my, my from my people, because I, please follow this brother, support his work. You know, it's so important. We talk about role models for our young people, and seeing a brother who took it on his own initiative, like and doing what you're doing. We need more of that, man. We need more of that. So please, guys, likewise, please follow, man. Please follow. So don't worry, I'll be telling everybody about you. So thank you for this this opportunity. I thoroughly enjoyed this interview, man.
0: Yeah, and and um, I definitely need to connect you with some folks who I feel like you'll chop up with right away. I got some good friends of mine that um, I'll tell you about um, after we get off there. But man, no problem. Man, uh, <laughs> Thank you're you keep doing some incredible things, man. Just keep it up, man. When I get to the UK, because I told you I have family in London. I got family in Liverpool, Manchester. Please. And when I get out there, man, I'll be looking out for you, bro.
2: Holler at me,
1: man. Holla, listen, holla at me, man. We'll go for coffee. You know what I'm saying? We'll chop it up a bit more, you know. Holler. So, you know, hopefully, I don't know if i ever go down to Ethiopia. But if, I, if, if I'm ever down in there, those sides, man, at least I know somebody from there. So you just you could just, you know what I mean, take me for a coffee or whatever. Shisha. I don't know what they do down there. Shisha, I presume. But, yeah. No, when you come to London, please feel free to visit. Maybe, who knows, we can put a little something, something together and we can show the UK what you're about, man, because you've got a lot of important things to say as well.
0: Yeah, man, absolutely. And we'll mm-hmm. make that happen. But um, we're going to mm-hmm. wrap up, people, on behalf of Mr. Carl Poupe. Thank you. This is Mr. Kwame Sarfamenta signing off. For real. Sure. So good night, good afternoon, good, good morning, morning. wherever <laughs> in the world. We're going to do this yeah. again another time. No, definitely. Peace.